Hi friends, I'm Tim Villegas from the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, and you are listening to Think Inclusive, our podcast that brings you conversations about inclusive education and what inclusion looks like in the real world. Valerie C. Williams is the Director of the Office of Special Education Programs, OSEP, at the U.S. Department of Education. In this role, she is responsible for overseeing administration of the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, IDEA, which authorizes formula grants to states under IDEA Part B and to lead agencies for the Infants and Families Program under IDEA Part C. IDEA also authorizes discretionary grants under IDEA Part D to institutions of higher education and other nonprofit organizations to support grants for state personnel development, technical assistance and dissemination, technology, and parent training and information centers. She has extensive experience in federal public policy, regulatory affairs, and budgeting, as well as disability policy and civil rights. She holds degrees from UC Berkeley and Johns Hopkins University. She is also the parent of a son with Down syndrome. For this episode, Valerie Williams discusses the importance of inclusion in early childhood education. She shares a personal story about finding the right preschool for her son with Down syndrome and emphasizes the need for a mindset shift among educators. Valerie highlights the lack of knowledge and resources available to support inclusive practices and calls for better dissemination of information. Director Williams and I also talk about the promising initiatives happening in different states, and she encourages educators to be bold, brave, and urgent in their efforts to improve inclusive opportunities for all students. This week's episode is brought to you by the Early Childhood Technical Assistance Center and the Frank Porter Graham Child Development Institute, and will be the first episode in a collaboration between the ECTA and the Think Inclusive podcast on early childhood inclusive practices. After a quick break, we will meet two people from the ECTA who are very passionate about early childhood inclusive education to preview my interview with Director Valerie Williams. We'll be right back. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Jamie Kozlowski, and I'm a technical assistance specialist with the Early Childhood Technical Assistance Center at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, Frank Porter Graham Child Development Institute. Hi, I'm Katasha Williams. I am one of the co-leads for the inclusion work group and topic team. I also serve on the leadership team for the ECTA or the Early Childhood Technical Assistance Center. So for those that are listening that are not familiar with ECTA, what's the best way for our listeners to understand what is ECTA and what does it do? The work of ECTA, we're, we're funded by the federal government, um, and our work really is to provide high quality technical assistance to early intervention and early childhood programs, specifically Part C and Parts B619 coordinators across the nation and in territories. We do that by way of partnership. We feel very strongly that our work cannot be done outside of the context of relationships. Um, and responsive relationships at that. So we hear directly from those who are leading um, early childhood work and, and what their needs are in the field. And we are able to be responsive to that in a way to really support children with disabilities in their families and access to services. Yeah, it, it has just been um, such a growth experience for me as a professional to be able to work with the team at ECTA, you know, a very passionate group of professionals. And, and Katasha and I have had the opportunity to do work together on the inclusion team at the Early Childhood Technical Assistance Center. And so together, um, along with a team of, of professionals and leaders, we provide technical assistance to state leaders. We host webinars. We produce resources. There's just a lot of great work that goes on at ECTA. And you have uh, monthly virtual meetups, is that right? Oh, yeah. So we have an inclusion learning community um, that is, it's meets six times a year. So every other month. And the listeners are, are free to join if they're interested. Just let us know and we'll add you to the list. But we have conversations with state leaders on the learning community. We bring in special guest stars. Um, and, you know, I, I think also they might be interested too, Katasha, about the Inclusion Institute. And Katasha is one of the leads on that effort. Yeah, we like to call it a premier institute. We believe that it is. We've reached international uh, audiences now, and it really is a way for professionals to come together and think about practice and systems level support and, and change that's needed to really support children in inclusive environments. So yes, uh, the Inclusion Institute is held each spring and we would love, love to have you. So please check check that out. You know, as I was listening and, and just thinking about the work that, that we do, it really is about um, developing this more equitable and effective and sustainable 
uh, systems supporting the access and participation for children with disabilities and their families. And that is at the core of all of the learning communities, all of the products that we develop, all of the relationships. It really is about um, those those equitable practices um, for children. Hmm. Yeah, you know, and I think I think your audience would need to know that less than half of preschool age children receive their services, special ed, early childhood special ed services in regular early childhood programs. So even at the preschool level, even three through five year olds are not served in inclusive settings. And that's what sets the trajectory for children. And when they're included in the early years, that leads to inclusion in elementary school, which leads to inclusion in middle school, high school, and life. What are you excited about for this conversation with Valerie Williams? I think it's the, the message from our federal leadership, from the Office of Special Education Programs, that inclusion in early childhood matters, that it's important. Sometimes it, it feels like early childhood is an add-on to the work. And to have Valerie come out and speak about these issues I know that she's also herself a parent of a child with a disability and also struggled with finding childcare for her son. So having that voice from the leadership level about inclusion in early childhood is just so, so powerful um, and a great opportunity for us as an early childhood field. I completely agree. Valerie brings her full self and perspective to this. And it's very genuine, um, really, like you said, to hear from leadership that this is a priority and important, but also that perspective as a parent of a child, um, it, it makes it real. <laughs> it um, encourages us in the field to know that there is support administratively around these issues that are so vital and important to the trajectory of a child's full experience. Janie Kozlowski and Katasha Williams, thank you so much for um, joining us on Think Inclusive to preview Valerie Williams and the early childhood series that we have. Thanks for the opportunity, Tim. Thank you so much. When we return, my interview with director Valerie Williams. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Director Valerie Williams, welcome to Think Inclusive. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm really excited to to have you on. I don't think I've we've had anyone from OSEP um, on on the show before, so this is uh, this is something new and something really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Janie Kozlowski is actually who connected us, um, and she is, you know, fantastic, a fantastic person uh, from uh, ECTA. I think I'm saying that right, ECTA, the mm-hmm. Early Childhood Technical Assistance Center. Um, and she is really passionate about early childhood inclusion and she wanted us to, to have you on because, uh, inclusion is important to you, right? It absolutely is. Actually, I just met her, uh, two weeks ago in Montana in person for the first time. So this is very timely. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. I've never met Jenny in person. So, uh, we've only communicated over you know, Zoom and email. Um, but I, I'm wondering to start us off in this conversation because you and I don't know each other. I'm wondering if if you could tell me why inclusion is important to you. Oh, that's a big question, a big loaded question, Tim. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's it's perfectly fine. So let me uh, let me tell you a story. Let me do that. So to try to please analyze everything I'm thinking. Um, For those that don't know, my husband and I have a 12-year-old son who happens to have Down syndrome. Um, He's only 12, but he thinks he's 30, and he's everything you expect a 12-year-old to be. When we were looking for a preschool many years ago, um, we were perplexed and not quite sure what direction to head in. So we investigated three different places. Because I think as parents of kids with disabilities, we want the same thing that all parents want for their kids, which is someplace where they feel like they will be loved and they will belong and and they will um, have fun and learn and grow. So we we decided to visit these, these three locations, these three places. We made it a point at the time if um, of taking our son elsewhere and my husband and I would just go so that you know, our son would not be a distraction to them or to us. We could get our own ideas of what we believed was happening, whether or not it would be a good fit, and then we would talk about it afterward. The first location that we went to was a home-based location, which we were not opposed to. Um, the woman had been doing the work probably about 20 years, had schedules, activities. You could tell she knew what she was doing. Um, for something completely unrelated, we just decided not to go with her, which was fine. Uh, the second place we went to was a chain of um, preschools, whose name I will not mention. Uh, the location was just about to open. We take the tour. It felt a bit sterile in terms of, you know, it didn't necessarily feel like a place where kids would have a ton of fun. But the woman who was working in the room that our son would have been in was a previous teacher um, and we could tell she really knew what she was doing, and we did like her. But we're, but we're taking the tour, and at the very end, we are talking to the owner. And so we're looking around, having these conversations, and the very last thing we say is, oh, and by the way, our son happens to have Down syndrome. Now, my husband and I always make it a point of doing that because we want to look people in the eye when we tell you what's going on. We want to see your reaction. Um, because that gives us an idea as to what type of person you are, what type of facility you're running, and whether or not it would be a good fit. 
So we tell her that. And after we tell her that, there is a very awkward silence that probably lasted about 10 to 15 seconds. We were not in a hurry to fill that silence. We decided we wanted to wait to see what what she came up with. And she eventually got herself together and she told us that we would have to meet with her um, instructional and enrollment folks to determine whether or not it would be a good fit, quote unquote, as I use those words. Mm -hmm. And so what that told my husband and I is that this is not the place for him because you're unsure, you're unclear, you're not sure if you want him and, and you want us to go another route when it was clear based on previous conversations. He didn't have any medical needs or any anything else that would warrant that, but she was fearful. And so we decided this is absolutely not the place for him. The third place we go to, walk in, take the tour, everything looks great. We're talking to the woman who runs the facility at the end. Oh, by the way, my son happens to have Down syndrome. She didn't miss a beat. She smiled. She said, I have been trained and I have worked with kids with all types of disabilities and special needs and he will be okay. We will love on him. We will teach him and we will we will teach him and train him just like everybody else that's here. And that's when we said, yes, this is the place for him because they want him and they understand that he's just another child that might need some additional support in some places, but they were perfectly okay with that. And so I tell you that story to say that um, inclusion is extremely important to me, as I think it should be for for all of our kids. We know that when inclusion starts early, inclusion tends to continue. And when our kids are in self-contained settings early, that tends to continue as well. And for the most part, there's no reason why our kids can't be included other than Um, sometimes the adults aren't quite sure what inclusion should look like and what they should do. And so that's the part that we need to deal with. We need to deal with um, the mindset shift. We need to deal with what are the resources that would help people in the way of doing more work around inclusion? What do people need? Because the issue is not our kids. The issue is the adults. And so how do we deal with that to expand our inclusion effort? So I know that was a long answer to your question. Oh, man. Oh, man. Listen, some people are driving in their car, doing their dishes, doing their laundry, and they're clapping. (laughs) And they're saying, preach. (laughs) (laughs) I think that uh, I I, I like how you, I I love that story. And I, I like how it really cuts to the heart of the matter that the experience of families, uh, just enrolling their children in, you know, preschool, uh, pre-K programs, early childhood uh, programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have they have a, ch- a child with Down syndrome. They have a child with autism. They have a child with, you know, whatever whatever um, uh, disability, whatever kinds of support that the child needs. And the the staff is like, oh, we don't know. We right. don't ha- we don't know how to do that. We don't know right. how to do that. You know. And it shouldn't be that you had to have gone to three different places to get to a place where they wanted your child. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is just, uh, it's, it's so common for families to, um, you know, to experience and experience. Honestly, I think, I think it probably happens every day. And, And what concerns me is what about the parents who might've stopped at the first facility? 
or the second facility, right? Mm-hmm. And so not yeah. knowing that there's somebody out there that would love to take your child and have them there and knows the benefits of inclusion, not just for kids with disabilities, but kids without. And there's plenty of research to show that there are benefits for all kids, that there are evidence-based practices and resources, but we've got to get all that into the hands of the people who need it most. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. Do you think that um, the... Well, I don't know what to call. I don't know what to call it. Uh, the federal government, OSEP, our national how how we how we support early childhood education programs just in general for, at the federal level. Um, do you think that it's a a messaging issue? Is it a um, is it a technical assistance issue? Like, why aren't more programs set up to really? Uh, teach all learners? So that's a big question. I think part of it is, a part of that answer is in your question, is that they're not set up from the beginning to teach all learners. They're set up with certain kids in mind. And then when kids with disabilities come along, then they're trying to figure out how to retrofit our kids into what they've already created instead of creating something from the very beginning which would take into account the needs of all, all kids. That's one thing. Um, I do think some of it is uh, mindset. Um, and just thinking that when you see a child that has a disability, that they will automatically need something or more, and you're not quite sure what to do with that. So I think some of that is lack of knowledge, and that breeds um People aren't confident in those situations. And when you aren't confident, you you tend to kind of push away any experiences that could cause you to be uncomfortable. Because I think as adults, we have a tendency to want to be comfortable, but we're not here for our own comfort. We're here in service to our kids, right? So we have to kind of get beyond the mindset that keeps us in a place that's not uh, productive. I do think um, that there are people who want to. who want to do inclusion work, and they just might not know where the resources are or how to use them. And in that, those instances, I think it is a technical assistance issue. Um, on a bigger level, um, I think we have, uh, broadly speaking, an information dissemination problem because there are a lot of federal resources on literally just about everything you can think of in relation to um, kids and students with disabilities, and they're all free. But as I go around the country and I talk to people in various states, and I've probably been to at least 20, 25 cities in my year and a half at OSEP, it is amazing to me how many people don't even know that our resources exist. And so um, clearly, we need to do more in the way of um, outreach. And it can't just be outreach to the states, which is what our mandate is. We also have to do outreach to districts to, if you're talking about, say, for example, if we were talking about the school setting, it would need to be with principals. We need to do outreach with people that do early intervention. We need to do more outreach with teachers. Who are the people that are closest to our children? And how can we get the resources into their hands? Because they're the ones who need it. Um, as an aside, because I love stories and, and they tend to illustrate a lot. 
Um, our son has a tutor who is a third grade autism teacher, and she is dynamic. She she really knows how to um, accommodate and modify and, and, and do everything that kids need. And she um, tends to have kids in her class that have a lot of behavior issues. And her school is putting more people, more kids in her class because she knows how to deal with kids that have behavior issues and everyone in her building doesn't. And so I was explaining to her about some of the guidance that's been put out by by OSEP and how it could be helpful um, to her, but more helpful to the other people in her building. And she said, I didn't even know that existed. Can you send it to me? And that makes me sad because if the people that are literally the closest to our kids don't know that our resources exist, then what are we doing? We need to take a step back. And there are always more resources that we could create, but how do we make sure that they're getting into the right hands? And it's not just um, Part B school age. We also have a plethora of resources for um, for people who work in, in early childhood. And so we've got to figure out how to um, engage and push those out. And so we have a information dissemination initiative going on in OSEP right now which I, I believe will continue for quite some time, where we're bringing together our technical assistance centers and we're discussing who is your audience? How do you disseminate your information? Are there metrics that you're using? Just kind of sharing information. Um, is it social media? If so, what are the platforms? Are you doing blogs? Are you like, what are the range of options? What are you considering? What have you done? How is it working for you? Does it vary based on the state or the district or th those type of questions so that we can do better with um, getting the information into the right hands? Well, you know, we, this is a podcast. And so uh, we have, you know, principals, school leaders, educators, families uh, uh, that, that have children with disabilities. These are these, this is our audience. So as far as if someone was, Let's let's just uh, target school leaders for now, because I, I do know, you know, a number of principals listen, um, you know, and maybe they are in a in a uh, district or in a school uh, that has an early childhood education program or maybe, you know, maybe uh, that is th those are the, the people that they serve and they're just looking for some guidance. So what are some um, documents or resources that are available to them that you could point them to? So um, one thing I would suggest is that sometimes it seems like there's so much to do and there's so many resources that people kind of get overwhelmed and don't know where to start. And so I would recommend picking those one, two, maybe three things tops that you want to make some headway on that you're working on and kind of dig into those so that you go, um, you go deep enough to have an impact, but you don't stretch yourself out too thin and go too wide, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, and so there are um, a lot of different um, resources. And I think probably one of the best things I could do is to point you toward our technical assistance centers, because they have a lot of, uh, well, a couple of places, actually. One is every state um, has what we fund a parent training center, PTI. 
most of the time, um, information, it's usually educators and parents that call the PTI that ask state-specific questions. They can get resources. They find out what their options are, specifically based on what's going on in that state. Um, but we have technical assistance centers that have information, no matter who it is, whether it is a parent, whether it is a teacher, whether it's a principal, um, some specifically for early childhood, um, some specifically for teachers. It could be dispute resolution. There are a whole host of things. And so what I would like to do, um, because I don't want to skip over any of our valuable resources, is to be able to provide you what we call a placement um, and their links to it. And so in those links, there's a list of every technical assistance center that we have, a link of how to get to it, and a quick description of exactly what they do. And that way it'll kind of narrow down because I'm afraid if I start listing technical assistance centers, I'll forget <laughs> yeah. one. And then as soon as we're done, I'll say, oh, I should have mentioned, right, that, that next one that came to my mind. So, and Right. I, I mean, yeah, we don't want to leave anybody out. No. And, and we have so many resources. and um, And a lot of them are not necessarily just in print. There's also a lot that's on video. And we make it a point to make sure that our resources, to the maximum extent possible, are not 500 pages long, that you don't need a law degree to read it and understand, right? So how can we um, easiest and best explain what is going on with whatever said topic is so that someone can spend a few minutes reading it, they have a general idea of where they want to start, some questions they want to ask themselves, um, it could be a self-assessment and, and they have some information that they can move forward with that would be helpful. Let's talk about <laughs> what's happening right now in different states to move inclusive practices forward. So here are just the things that I'm aware of. The state of Washington has the Inclusionary Practices Professional Development Project. Uh, which I believe at the time that I was researching in and I visited Washington, uh, there was, I think, 16 uh, demonstration, sites, uh, demonstration sites across the state okay. moving towards uh, inclusive education. And it seems like uh, the office uh, of the uh, superintendent of public instruction, it, it's a priority for them. Okay. Um, so that's one. The uh, Department of Education in Nebraska uh, put out a brief about their journey to inclusion um, and, and how they are moving towards inclusive practices. The state of California uh, had uh, some legislation. It actually was vetoed by the, the governor, by Governor Newsom, uh, but I ended up talking with um, one of the legislators in the, in the state legislature about what uh, the bill would have done. And it would have basically helped um, district leaders in their education program to become more inclusive. And so you also have different states offering professional development yes. like an organization in California called Supporting Inclusive Practices um, that is, you know, run by certain, uh, uh, you know, counties and offices of, uh, of education, you know, in the state of California. Uh, there's been a long uh, standing 
there's been uh, you know grants supporting inclusive education in Maryland. As for the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, you know we have uh, been funded by the State Department to work with districts in Maryland to be more inclusive. So there's a lot of things happening all across the state, you know, and I didn't even mention the technical assistance center that we have that was with the Thai center. And now with the Swift center um, on, um, on inclusive practices uh, for learners with extensive support needs. So there is stuff happening out in the world uh, out in our, in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you hopeful uh, as we move forward, that we are really going to uh, see learners be more authentically included. And is there anything that I missed? Um, so I am hopeful. Um, I'm optimistic by nature. <laughs> and so I, I prefer to think that people want to do the right thing and they want to do what's best. Um, and I, I just approach life from that perspective. So I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt. So you, there, there are a lot of promising things that are happening. Um, but honestly, we should. you mentioned a few states. We should be able to see um, efforts from all states because there is a ton of technical assistance available. Um, and you know, IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, the LRE provision for least restrictive environment has a couple unique provisions as it relates to um, state departments of education because it requires state departments of education to monitor IDEA's LRE requirements and provide technical assistance on them. So we really should be seeing not just, you know, a little change here, a little change there. We should be seeing change everywhere. Um, and one of the challenges we know is that IDEA never mentions the term inclusion or things like regular class or regular education environment, right? Um, I will say that based on data that we received during the first year, um, I want to say shortly after the pandemic, Um, We have seen an increase in states that are reporting that children with disabilities are receiving instruction in the regular environment more than 80% of the time. We're seeing more of that. There's an increase. Mm -hmm. Um, But honestly, I think we'll have to take a look at that data over time and kind of see how it plays out because COVID um, presented a lot of challenges but also a lot of opportunities. So, and it, and it was, it was an anomaly in terms of our data. So I think that's something we're going to have to keep an eye on. Um, I think that uh, there's also a lot of um, work and technical assistance and similarities in our work as well as with uh, Head Start. So the collaboration that's needed between educators and taking those deliberate actions that we talked about before to improve inclusive opportunities because they are there. We just need people to to take advantage of them. And so I'm hopeful that over time, what we have seen um, will continue and that we'll see a real desire for people to want to move that forward because um, inclusion along with um, Good instructional practices 
is what moves our students forward and improves outcomes. And so those are two things that we really, really need to focus on. So IDEA has not been uh, reauthorized for over a decade. It's been Um, a while. (laughs) (laughs) uh, And do we, do we, does it need to be reauthorized or um, do we need to be intentional about holding systems accountable? Yes. Yeah, so, or what's in the law? Yes. Yeah, so you hit the nail on the head. Um, I'm not going to say that IDEA doesn't need to be reauthorized. But what I am going to say is that we have got to focus on implementation. Because if the if the law is written nicely and everything makes sense, that doesn't necessarily translate into good implementation. And so to the extent that we can act on what we know is law right now and making it as robust as it needs to be, how can we do that in the absence of the actual law being reauthorized? And so that's what we're focusing a lot on. Um, We put a lot on the IEP team. We put a lot on teachers and all of the the CISPs, the um, Specialized Instructional Support Personnel. Um, and, and there are a lot of issues at play in relation to, say, shortages and a lot of other things that are going on that, that, we're, that we're dealing with. But um, implementation is going to be key because if we change the law, but it's still not being implemented properly, that doesn't help our students in the slightest. All right. This has been a really great conversation. Um, anything that anything that you wanted to leave, you know, families and educators with as we wrap up? Um, I think that I want to acknowledge probably for literally everyone that's listening, particularly if you work in our education system, that your job is hard. I'm not going to say or allude to anything else. The job is hard, right? But I think that um, what one of my overarching thoughts right now, particularly as we're coming out of the pandemic and we're seeing what it did to our students in the way of what they lost during the time when some of them were not in school at all, we have got to figure out a way to be bold to be brave and to be urgent because the kids and the students that we serve do not have another generation to wait while we figure out how to get this right. We had to be more flexible during the pandemic. Um, We had to be more intentional and more thoughtful and all of those things that we were doing that helped create a better system. We have to hold on to that and use that to propel ourselves forward and resist the urge to go back to what was going on in 2019 or to become complacent. Let, let's use what we've learned. Let's um, figure out what were the lessons that we've learned, right? How can we help more students get better outcomes and continue to consider the needs, continue to um, 
not necessarily do the same thing that we've always done. Sometimes we just need to get together and have a conversation and throw the spaghetti against the wall. And in sometimes in some harebrained ideas, there is a nugget of gold, but we don't consider doing it because we haven't done it before or something like that. There's no reason why we shouldn't consider doing new things. We're in a new time. We're in a new space. Our students need more than they have ever needed before. And so what are we going to do to help bridge that gap and to get our students where we need them to be? And it starts with inclusion, inclusion and good instructional practices. And if we can build off of those two things, it will help our students tremendously going forward. Stay tuned for the mystery question right after this break. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So what or who has made the biggest impression on your life in the last year? Mm. What or who has made the biggest impression on your life in the last year? Um, hmm. The last year, I would probably say um, I've done a lot of traveling in the last year in this position, and I've been... Good grief. New York, Florida, Phoenix, Montana, California, Guam. I've been all over. And um, talking to people that do the work, talking to parents, being in classrooms with teachers and seeing inclusion work, seeing our students learning and happy to be in school, that has made probably the biggest impact on me and just um, because I, I think that in, in our roles at the Department of Education, we are far away from the kids in classrooms, right? But but mm-hmm. when I leave um, the D.C. area and I get out in the field 
and I do listening sessions in town halls and I talk to people and I see kids, that energizes me. And I think that has had the biggest impact on me in the last year. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, so uh, I, as you were talking, it reminded me that uh, as, a, as a podcaster, I, I've had a, a very unique experience in the, in the last year because I have been working on a, a podcast series called Inclusion Stories, uh, where I was able to visit um, inclusive systems. So uh, I was able to go to Maryland and Washington, um, and I've been talking and, and producing this series. And very similar to what you were saying, um, you know, when I was in the classroom thinking that inclusive education was the right thing to do, that it benefits all learners, you know, I was never able to see it, Right. you know, like I, I knew that it, I knew people were doing it. I knew that it was happening for learners across the United States. And that's what I would tell people, mm -hmm. but I didn't have the experience of being there. And this particular year over the last, you know, since last August, being able to visit classrooms and to see it working and to see systems that are fully committed to inclusion has, um, it's just strengthened my resolve, I guess. Yes. You know, so very similar to what you were saying, it just reminded me that, um, that's why we that's why we do what we do right that's why we get up in the morning valerie williams thank you so much for being on the think inclusive podcast we appreciate your time thank you for having me for more information about inclusive education or to learn how you can partner with mcie on school transformation or professional learning opportunities visit mcie.org Thanks again to the ECTA for their collaboration on this episode. Love Think Inclusive? Here are a few ways to let us know. Rate us on Spotify or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It doesn't have to be anything long. It could just be, I love Think Inclusive. Become a patron like these fine people and get extra stuff. Thank you to Aaron P., Jarrett T., Joyner A., Kathy B., Mark C, Gabby M, Kathleen T, and Paula W. We appreciate your continued support of the Think Inclusive podcast. For our bonus episode this week, Director Williams discusses her journey from a career in finance to becoming the director of the Office of Special Education Programs. And I talk about what it was like to transition from a special education teacher to a career in communications. Think Inclusive is written, edited, designed, mixed, and mastered by me, Tim Villegas. Original music by Miles Kredich. Additional music from Melody. Thanks for your time and attention. And remember, inclusion always works. Do you have any questions before we get started? Um, um, I do not. I'm just making sure I have everything up on the screen in front of me so that I'm not staring around in random places. You may be 
seeing me look over here because I've got two screens. So no, it's perfect. Actually, I have multiple screens too. It's one of those things where you're trying to like let people know I'm not ignoring you, but I have multiple screens, and so yeah. <laughs> exactly from MCIE.